got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study. Welcome to another episode of 20-Minute Bible Studies. Romans 10.17 says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Over the next several minutes, you're going to hear an important message directly from God's Word and have your faith and knowledge increased. All you have to do is listen. Now, here are your teachers. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us. I'm Andy Balog. And I'm Jordan Pine. Let's get started. Today we're going to study a sometimes confusing and often controversial passage from the Gospel of Matthew. Join us now as we listen to the Word of God. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 8 and 9. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands or two feet and be cast into the eternal fire. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be cast into the fiery hell. Matthew 18, 8 through 9. We begin with the SPACE method. SPACE is an acronym. SP stands for speaker, A for audience, C for context, and E for explanation. We created this acronym to remind Bible students to consider the speaker, audience, and context before attempting an explanation or interpretation of the scripture being studied. Let's use it here. So let's start with speaker. Who is the speaker, Andy? Jordan, this is the Gospel of Matthew. Words would appear as read, so this is Jesus speaking. Going back to the beginning of chapter 18 confirms this and tells us the audience as well. Verse 1 reads, At that time the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Verse 2, And he called a child to himself and set him before them. Verse 3, And said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So we see there in verse 1, Andy, the disciples and Jesus. So we, we've learned the speaker and the audience. Right, exactly. Speaking of the audience, Jesus is speaking to his disciples there in verse 1. What, what does that tell us about our audience? Well, a few different things. Number one, we know that his disciples were saved. And how do we know this? First, they were Jews. And we know that Jews were saved on a quote-unquote layaway plan. Yes, Pastor Whipple used to always say the Jews were saved on the layaway plan, Andy. What did he mean by that? Well, if we look back at Hebrews chapter 11, it says that from Abel all the way down through King David and beyond— the Jews were, quote, gained approval through their faith, although God had provided something better for us Christians so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. And that's Hebrews chapter 11, verse 40. So basically, they were saved by looking forward to the Messiah in faith. That's what the layaway plan idea means, right? Exactly, exactly. And then another point would be, secondly, the disciples responded to the call of Jesus and they followed him. And this is how we Christians today are saved. Right, so they, they were saved as Jews on the layaway plan. They were saved as Christians because they responded to Christ's call. And third, Jesus himself said in Scripture that salvation is of the Jews. 
In John chapter 4, verse 22, in the NIV, it reads, quote, You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yeah, so we see this double salvation, and I just wanted to point out, going back to the Christian version of salvation, Jesus said in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And what happens metaphorically for us today in the church age happened literally for the disciples. So, you know, you've mentioned that salvation is of the Jews, they were, they were saved as Jews, but then they literally followed the call of Jesus physically. So, you know, whenever we read in the Bible something addressed to the disciples, there can be no question that they it's, it's something that's addressed to save people because those disciples were, were saved two different ways. And the key here, Jordan, is to notice that in both of these cases, salvation is by faith. It's always going to be by faith in Scripture. The Jews look forward in faith to the cross, and Christians look back backward in faith towards the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Right. Okay, so we've established a speaker in the audience. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, who are doubly saved, as we said, uh, when he talks about cutting off hands and feet and plucking out eyes to avoid hell. No wonder this passage is confusing and controversial, Andy. Yeah, I mean, if we look at that, I guess you could say from a, a literal way, obviously it, it's not something that the Lord is, is enticing or encouraging people to do. But in a sense, if we understand what the what the end game or the goal is, now that we do have faith in Jesus Christ, and Jesus knew this because he knows everything, he's omniscient. He knew because he chose them from the foundation of the earth that these disciples believed in him and that he was going to die on the cross. That's why he came. So he knew that these were his disciples, these were his children. He came to die for them. What he was warning them is not, you know, possibly you're going to end up in hell if you're not careful what you look at. You know, there's something more to it. And then maybe we could talk about that as well. There is a certain end game that Jesus had in mind in these warnings he had towards his disciples and us, the readers, as well. Yeah, we should get into it because, you know, if you take it at face value, it seems like a very extreme statement that you're going to go to hell. You're going to burn in hell unless you do some kind of physical act of, of maiming or something. And it, it becomes like a cult type thing, like, like uh, you know, maybe monks that that, you know, go out into the wilderness for, for years and years and not speak, you know, and they might take it literally and say, well, I guess it would be better for us to be out here in the wilderness and, right. you know, read the Bible than for us to go out into the world and get our feet dirty, like Jesus said in John chapter 13. And what's also interesting to me, Andy, is that, you know, we're not living in medieval times, so maybe there was a crazy sect that took this literally and preached maiming. I wouldn't doubt it. But now today, the other danger is there where you kind of read this and you go, yeah, you know, he is making an absurd statement, an absurd statement to make a point. But that's not the, not necessarily the case either. That definitely was going on here. But when you dig into it, there's a, a much deeper message. And it gets to the heart of, too, an issue that we talk about all the time, which is this idea of once saved, always saved, can't lose your salvation. If you read this verse um, the traditional way today, you you totally miss that point. And you get into these false doctrines about, you know, sinning can cause you to go to hell. So it's very important that we dig into this. But let's move on to the context, though. Can you give us a little bit of the, you know, following the space method again, we've talked about the speaker in the audience. What is the context? context of this teaching. Sure. Well, we know that this is the second time, actually, in the book of Matthew that Jesus is giving this teaching. Um, the, the first was during the Sermon on the Mount, right after he spoke about adultery, ironically. Um, so if we look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, it reads, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. 
For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Very interesting. And one thing we don't see in this version is we don't see the foot, right? It's just about the, the hand exactly. and the eye. Exactly. So you can say, in a sense, this is, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, it's a little more focused specifically on adultery. So, you know, you could probably make an assessment there that cutting off of the feet is speaking about something a little different versus the cutting off of the hands, which probably is more correlated with adultery. And one of the things I just want to, you know, while we're in the middle of this, you know, 20-minute Bible study today is the, the key point here is to understand the word hell, and I know we're going to get into that, right? right? So like you said, there is a, a, a major rift between those who believe you can lose your salvation and those who believe you cannot. And I think if you were to look at it literally from both sides, right. you would say that, you know, hey, Jesus is talking in figuratively. Right. But if we understand a little bit deeper of what Jesus is trying to say here, again, I'll use the word end game, what he wants for his children, for those who are saved, then I believe that we would be able to probably do a better job of actually literally taking what he's saying at face value. Right. And, and you make a good point in saying that people who are saved again, because if, if we look, if we apply the space method to Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount that you just read, people often make the mistake of thinking of Jesus, you know, on top of a mountain preaching to the multitudes. But what does the Bible actually say? Who was he actually teaching in the Sermon on the Mount? Well, obviously you could look at verses, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. And verse 1 reads, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he began to teach them, saying, and so on. So, yes, there were crowds of people. Right. You know, who's to say how many of them were actually saved? In my opinion, Bible doesn't tell you whether they are or not. In my opinion, because they were willing to go out and follow him, Sure, I believe that they believed in what he had to say. But the disciples themselves, obviously, is a higher level, right. higher echelon group that is willing to become a student of the rabbi, Jesus Christ. So... Here we see, you know, Jesus is saying, I'm going to go on a higher plane. Right. I'm going to go up on a mountain. And if you want to come up here with me, I will teach you deeper things. Right. So if we keep in context, you know, this whole, you know, concept about the cutting off of the hands to prevent sinning so that one will not end up in hell. The key here, I think, and then we need to study on this is for our listeners, is to really explain what hell is in, you know, in context here. Right. Yeah, right. So now that we've gotten past the speaker audience and talked about the context, we can attempt an explanation. And, and again, that's the way that we always advise everyone listening out there, when you study the Bible, follow, you know, follow the space method or something like it, which is to say, consider the speaker of the audience and look at the verse in context, understand the context of the passage before you attempt to give an explanation. Because you know we see so many times, Andy, I listen to messages all the time in churches, on the radio, whatever it is, where someone is taking one verse out of context and doing an entire sermon on it. And as soon as you put that verse, drop it back into the actual Bible, you're like, well, wait a minute, that, that has nothing to do with that. That's a complete misinterpretation. Yeah. I mean, it's nice you're inspired by it to give a message about whatever. You know, maybe God led you in that direction, fine. But if you actually put that verse back into the Bible, that's not what it means at all. And I've had that reaction so many times. So we strongly advise our listeners, always yeah. put the verse back into its context and try to understand where the author of the book is coming from. Right, and and I agree with you, and it is a shame, and I believe that that should be key to, you know, regardless of your denomination, 
it's key for fundamental study of the Word of God. Right. Um, otherwise, there's, you know, in, in a sense, anarchy. There's no discipline. And, um, you know, there's no way of really being able to focus on what you're teaching and being able to convey that to your listeners. So I agree with you there. Okay, Jordan, so let's go back to Matthew 18, and I'm going to read those two verses again, starting at verse 8. It reads, If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands or two feet and be cast into the eternal fire. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be cast into the fiery hell. Let's examine some key words from the passage, Andy, and their literal meanings. That will help us out a lot. Okay. The two key phrases are enter life or be cast into the fiery hell. So enter life, fiery hell. In the New Testament Greek, that would be enter zoe or be cast into the pyre ionias. Life is a pretty good English translation of zoe. And actually the name zoe, which is a girl's name, means life. And fire or fiery is a pretty good English translation of pyre. Right. So we actually have an English word pyre, meaning a heap of burnable material. And many might have heard the phrase funeral pyre, for example, or possibly pyromania. Right, exactly. But hell was really a poor translation of the word ionias. It's rendered that way because in other Bible translations, pyre ionias is translated eternal fire, which is closer to literally accurate. Right, but oftentimes we think of eternal as forever, right, Jordan? So that tempts us to think that Jesus is speaking of the lake of fire, which Revelation 20 verse 10 says that's where the devil, the beast, and the false prophet will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And verse 14 adds that death in Hades will get put in there as well, Hades being the literal Greek word for hell. Right, but in today's passage, Jesus isn't speaking of Hades or the lake of fire. He is speaking of a different place called Gehenna, which raises the question, of course, well, how do we know? How do we know that? Well, in Jordan, the Sermon on the Mount version of this teaching, the word translated hell is actually the Greek word Gehenna in the the original text. So what is Gehenna? How is that different from the lake of fire or what we think of hell today when we hear that word? The first thing I want to say before I answer that, Andy, is that we have an entire series about this on our Mysteries of the Kingdom website. You can email us at info at MOTK.org. MOTK stands for Mysteries of the Kingdom. And we'll send you links to where you can listen to that series for free. Once again, that's info at MOTK.org to get that free series. But let me go and try to put it in a nutshell here. Gehenna was a dump outside the city of Jerusalem where they burned garbage. And our Lord Jesus Christ used it as a metaphor to describe a place of punishment for wicked believers. Yeah, Jordan, but how do we know Gehenna is for wicked believers? Because every time Jesus spoke of it, he was teaching people who were saved. For example, as we saw earlier, Jesus was teaching his disciples in both Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, and Matthew 18. Got it. So back to our text. If you really dig into the Greek, the message of these verses become clearer. Right, Andy. Ionios means age-lasting. Ion is where we get our word eon. So more precisely, Jesus is contrasting age-lasting life with age-lasting fire or Gehenna fire. Excellent, Jordan. So how do we know this word means age-lasting and not as the NASB translates it, eternal? Let's look at another scripture, Ephesians chapter 1, and let's start in verse 18, Andy. Can you read that for us, please? Sure. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. 
and verse 19. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. Verse 20, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named. And here's the key, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Right. Did you hear that word age? It is also ion in the original text. So it's saying not only in this ion or eon, if you will, it sounds better to the English here, not only in this eon, but also in the eon to come. And of course, translating that word eternal would make no sense because then it would say not only in this eternity, but also in the eternity to come. So we see that the true meaning of ion or eon is age as in a period of time, not forever. So the question becomes, and that gets right to the heart of today's lesson, Andy, what age is he actually talking about? The age here that he's talking about is what comes after his second coming, the age of Christ's thousand-year reign over all the earth that is prophesied in Revelation chapter 20. Again, there's a lot here that we covered in detail on the MOTK site, but to explain it briefly, those who present a life of good works at the judgment seat of Christ will gain life in the kingdom and may even qualify to rule and reign with Christ. Those who present a life of sin or wicked works are cast out into places outside the kingdom. So one of the things I just want to clarify here is the word kingdom. The word kingdom it should not be synonymous with the word heaven or everlasting life. The word kingdom is specific to a certain place which occurs during the millennial thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ. Right, and being cast out, going on your point, Andy, doesn't mean being cast out into hell or the lake of fire. It's talking about a place outside the kingdom. Um, for instance, there's a place called outer darkness that's mentioned in the parables. And Jude also mentions the blackness of darkness, which scripture indicates is for apostates. So there are, there are possibly even levels outside of the kingdom. The main point is that there is no evidence that these places are eternal, like the lake of fire. Indeed, and then, of course, that would contradict other scriptures that teach once saved, always saved, or, on the other hand, that Christ's work on the cross cannot be undone. And also, Revelation tells us exactly who and what goes into the lake of fire, Andy, as you were reading some of that, and there's no mention of Gehenna or any places of darkness. So, we know that it's a different place. Exactly, exactly. And, and we also know punishment for believers is not eternal, because Revelation chapter 21 prophesies that after the thousand-year kingdom— God himself, God the Father, will dwell among us and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. That's Revelation 21.4. That brings us to our conclusion or our takeaway for today. In these verses from Matthew 18, Jesus is telling us to go to extremes if necessary to avoid the kind of sin that can have serious consequences in the age to come. Given the context, he is specifically warning of sins of sexual immorality, such as adultery. But this would apply to any sin that could cause a Christian to be judged as wicked on Judgment Day and cast out of the kingdom as a result. Of course, there's also a positive way to look at today's passage. How awesome must this coming kingdom be if it's better to enter mutilated than remain whole but not get in? Very good, Jordan. And to clarify, for our listeners, the kingdom or often it's stated as the kingdom of heaven, is totally different from heaven by itself when read, or everlasting life. And we know this because when we go the extra mile in our word studies, we learn that there are different words in the original Greek that our Lord uses for hell other than the ones we commonly read today in the King James, NIV, or even the NASB versions of the Bible. 
And we learn this because there are different words in the original Greek that our Lord uses for heaven and also for the word hell, other than the ones we commonly read today in the King James NIV or even the NASB versions of the Bible. For example, when we look at the word Gehenna and we translate it literally, we find that it actually means Valley of Hinnom. And that might sound weird or maybe the first time you've ever heard of that, but that's how it should translate in the English. And if you actually go to possibly one of your study Bibles and you go to the back of the Bible, you'll, you might even see a, a map of Jerusalem during the days of Jesus Christ. And you'll find that there is a valley called the Valley of Hinnom just a few steps outside the city gates of Jerusalem. Right, and that was the garbage dump we talked about earlier. So there's a whole history there, as you're alluding to, and uh, there there really is, you, you kind of said it quickly, it's really important to go back and dwell on it. And I know some of our really hungry, uh, spiritually hungry Christians out there will, will love this and want to dig in. But if you really get into it, there are three heavens and three hells. I know that sounds crazy, but when you start to study the original language and the specific words that are used throughout the Bible, there are three different places in both cases that speak to three different things. And if you want to really dig into that, like I said, and you are spiritually hungry, please go to MOTK.org. We have, we have whole lessons on the three heavens, the three hells, and some of these much deeper word studies. And that's our lesson, which means we have just a few minutes to explain our initiative, Get 20, Give 20. Get 20 is our reminder that you can get a 20-minute Bible study anytime you like by visiting our website. We archive all lessons and make them available for free at 20minutebiblestudies.org. You can listen online or download them for later or even subscribe to the podcast version and have new lessons automatically delivered to your favorite smart device. Even more important, our website is the place where you can join in our Bible studies by sharing your comments and asking any questions you may have. And we have a growing Facebook community and a discussion forum. When you're on our site, you should also sign up for email alerts so we can let you know when new lessons have been added. Also, when you sign up for email alerts, our first email back to you will include a link to a special series we put together titled 10 Mind-Blowing Things You Didn't Know Were in the Bible. It's an eye-opening set of Bible lessons, and it's our little thank you for joining our online community. It's all online at 20minutebiblestudies.org. Or, if you don't want to type so much, 20mbs.org will get you there faster. Moving on to Give 20. This is our special initiative to reach as many spiritually hungry Christians as we can. We know so many Christians find it hard to make time to study God's Word and then feel guilty they're unable to do it. Studying the Word of God is so vital to our spiritual growth, and yet it can be so hard sometimes to find a good study group and then attend that group on a regular basis. This is why we created 20-Minute Bible Studies. Everyone can find 20 minutes for God, and now, with this audio program, that's all Christians will need. They can listen to a Bible study whenever and wherever they like. The Give 20 initiative is your chance to participate in this great ministry and receive the special blessings that come from spreading God's Word. By giving just $20 per month, you can help us create more lessons and reach more believers than ever before. Plus, we pledge that every cent you contribute will go directly toward recording and broadcasting more lessons like the one you heard today. And since our ministry is an official nonprofit registered with the government, your donation is also fully tax deductible. To join our Give 20 initiative, visit 20mbs.org and click Donate. And if you can't afford to give $20 now, how about giving 20 people you know an opportunity to listen to this ministry? That's right. You can send them an email with our website or post a link on your favorite social media platform. And finally, 20-Minute Bible Studies is a ministry of Mysteries of the Kingdom. 
a nonprofit organization dedicated to educating Christians in preparation for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you liked what you heard today and want to go deeper into God's Word, we strongly recommend you visit the website of Mysteries of the Kingdom, MOTK.org. Yes, these radio studies are just 20 minutes, but our MOTK lessons last as long as needed to fully understand whatever passage of Scripture we're studying. So if you're interested in learning more about what you heard today, you'll definitely want to check out our in-depth, multi-part studies, which are available for free at MOTK.org. Thank you so much for your 20 minutes. I'm Andy Balog. And I'm Jordan Pine. May God bless you. Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple, to Abundant Life Worship Center for the music for our show, and to Tom Pine for our scripture reading. Until next time, may the word of Christ dwell in you richly. All rates reserved, Mysteries of the Kingdom Incorporated.